Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This month I'm joined by Pete Trainer. We chat about human-focused AI, Hippo, his book, The Human-Focused Digital Book, helping businesses get prepared and take advantage of AI, the importance and power of asking why, maybe slowing down progress a little bit to get to a more ethical place, the thorny issue of automation and job loss, and the speed of technological and cultural change, and much, much more. You can find notes on this episode and other episodes at machine-ethics.net. Also, consider sponsoring or supporting the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks very much for listening and hope you enjoy. Hi, Pete. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for joining us. Could you just give us a quick intro to who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Pete Trainer. Uh, I'm an author and co-founder of a business in London called Us AI. Uh, we're a human-focused AI company. We do uh, various types of consultancy that range from the ethics of AI through to um, prototyping the upsides and the downsides of voice and text-based technology. We help businesses really look at their roadmap for the next couple of years and where ethics fits into that um, is, is invariably something that's coming up more and more. Uh, and we feel really blessed because we've been doing this for a while and, and we seem to have been in the right place at the right time. It's a bit hot now, AI, isn't it? It is. It's very trendy. <laughs> it is getting there. Um, when, well, I can't remember when it started out. It was, it was, I 40s. Was big, it was big data recently. Recently. And then it, I think that rolled into this, you know, what are we going to do with all this big data yeah. that we've got? Is AI, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting though, isn't it? Because, I mean, even just going straight into that, the we were there a couple of years ago when businesses realised that they had all this data and they needed something mm. to do with it, so... You know, quite a lot of the AI work that we do is effectively analytics. So looking at propensity of X or Y to occur, and we might automate some of that. But yeah. um, it's going to change the name again in the next couple of years. It will be something else, I imagine. But yeah, I, it's something. There'll be some new trend that comes along, and everybody will stop using the term AI, or yeah. um, people will get fed up with white plastic robots on stock photography and yes. decide that that's the not stock- the one. The stock photography is terrible. There's just every um, article you read has to have some sort of robot on it. Yeah, yep. I've started using that as a life hack uh, when I talk to clients, which is if you find an article, even by a reputable news source, mm-hmm. and it has some kind of uh, white mannequin drawing on a on a window, like algebra on a window, then it's fake news. Like it's right. the kind of news that you should just walk away from because yes. if the reporter uh, or the uh, the author of said article is not wise enough to find something that's relevant to the article then they probably don't know what they're talking about so right. a big a graph or a spreadsheet or something uh, some de- <laughs> something that's data uh, i actually don't even mind those kind of uh you know those those sort of data whizzing across landscapes okay. those kind of pictures okay. i'll even take one of those over a white a white male stock robot yes yeah yeah so. wow um so i think we'll, we'll come back to that we'll park that for now <laughs> um, so pete um uh, the question I always ask people on the podcast to start us off is, what is AI? So AI, in, uh, our, our interpretation of AI is anything um, sort of non-organic, any piece of machinery, any um, piece of technology, any piece of code that can start to make decisions uh, in the same way that a human could. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's obviously a bit of a grey gray area, um, and humans make decisions in a number of different ways, and I actually don't believe we can do true AI at the moment. Mm. Um, but we're talking about 
machines making decisions that normally a human would be required to do. Yeah. Um, that's our normal definition of, of artificial intelligence. And when you say true inverted commas, are you, is it kind of general intelligence or the, like the singularity sort of? Um, I stay away from hypothetical what ifs, which are really mm. important to dispute and debate and, mm-hmm. and have conversations about. I think at the moment we're really focusing our, our businesses on um, that we work with on you know what's coming next so we can do narrow rules-based expert system type ai or businesses are doing that right now yeah there's some you know really smart machine learning stuff that's uh, applicable right now which is fantastic and we can talk about the ethics of some of that in a minute um but i think when we start to talk about general and super intelligence for, mm. the, for the for now it's a bit of a distraction from business as usual yeah um, and i think there are some more ethical concerns in the stuff that we can do right now yeah than whether or not something's going to go rogue and push a big red button when it decides that we're not worthy of yeah, its yeah. superior intelligence, um, which is the mainstay of the Ray Kurzweil's of the world and so on and so forth, and is an important dispute to have, um, but we're much more focused on the here and now. Yeah, and, and that's because you're you're advising and, and, and implementing some of the stuff yeah. in the business as well. Yeah, we're, uh, so we would classify ourselves kind of in, the, in that context as, a, as an applied AI business. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we are probably less academic than some of the businesses that exist, like DeepMind. Um, yeah. uh, some of the kind of you know the PhD driven businesses, which are hugely important to advance the technology that sits behind the stuff that we're doing, mm. um, in my view, but aren't necessarily helping businesses do stuff with it right now. Yeah. Um, that's not to say we're not interested in some of the kind of advancements of artificial intelligence and automation. Um, we are absolutely knees deep in some of the research. But I think a lot of businesses are trying to work out what they're going to do with it right now. And the yeah. framework and the baseline for getting that implemented now is really going to set the scene for whatever might come next. Yeah. And I think we were, we were chatting before about the kinds of things that you would um, help a company discover about how they can use automation, mm. um, how they implement that in a like a safe, ethical like way, mm. and how that you might be able to, as a company, implement some of that stuff with them and you wouldn't necessarily be advising them to do reinforcement learning, things like that, which are sort of still sort of on the fringes. But you'd, you know, be able to advise them on... Yeah, I mean, the the first thing we're doing quite a lot of at the moment is helping businesses get their data in order. Right. And that is the first order of the day. So many businesses are um, big, small and otherwise, third sector, you know, fourth sector, um, government and so on and so forth. They're so obsessed with the zeitgeist and the narrative around AI and saying we mm. want to do AI and then you go in and you look at what they've got and you say look you, you, you don't even you have data in different schemas from you know 10 different mm. years uh, let's get that sorted out first so that you have something you can train a machine to yeah. learn and predict from mm-hmm. um, so getting some of that stuff seems to be the, the first order of the day for, for many many businesses and that's one of the things that we're doing uh, a lot of at the moment um, making sure that 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 data is machine readable or machine interpretable. Um, in terms of the the next thing that we're really keen for businesses to do, so that they are looking at things like reinforcement learning, as an example, is getting sandboxes set up to experiment ethically mm. with those what ifs. It doesn't mean they're necessarily going to spew it out into the marketplace, yep. but to be able to experiment in a in a safe, enclosed. Um, sandbox environment to see whether there's something that AI um, and machine learning could do for their business that they can't see yeah. uh, is again something that's that's really valuable to business and something that we're advocating but I think trying yeah. to get that done um, with a good <clears throat> governance framework in place 
is super important. Yeah. And actually having an environment they can make mistakes in. Yeah. Ethically yeah. and, you know, without ruining somebody's life as a customer or consumer or mm. portfolio owner or whatever it is, um, it is super important. That's, that's really interesting because it's kind of like exploratory space, yeah. you know, looking at obviously what the building, uh, the business has access to uh, data wise or what they can benefit from, but also just going, let's see and, and try some stuff out, I guess, and yeah. be sort of creative. Yep. I think there is a certain amount of creativity involved in, in, in that and also some mm. bravery on the side of businesses to be able to go, okay, let's um, set up this, this lab, this yep. enclosed environment throw our uh, kind of stubbed customer data in uh, or, or whatever data they have access to, you know, news information or whatever it is that they have vast quantities of and then seeing where the chips fall hmm. um, when you pass it through uh, whatever, you know, analytic system you're, you're employing and using. That's really fascinating. And we've hmm. had businesses that have started to see new customer segments or new um, uh, portfolio types emerging uh, patterns and behaviours, mm. uh, human behaviours that that you only get from allowing machine sort of sort of objectively to look at the data. Yeah, um, and it's also a really good way of smoking out some of the bias that's inherent in some of that data as well. Because mm. when you start to look at the weird things that come out of those experiments, you say, "Well, where's that weird stuff coming from? Oh, it's coming from the data that we've got, and who put that data in? A whole bunch of humans in our call centre." Yeah, um, and so having those environments to find those errors that the machine kind of smokes out is, is really interesting yeah. as well. Before directly putting them into production. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then having some way of like evaluating, you know, what you're saying about the ethical um, the kind of guidance around some, these, some, these some things are going to be detrimental and these some things are less detrimental. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that kind of leads us on to the book that you put out in 2016. It was a while ago now. I feel like a fraud even talking about it after so long. But um, Why is it called Hippo? Good question. Uh, it, it was, um, it's a reference to the hippocampus. It's uh, a reference to the, the part of the brain that gets bigger and smaller with linear and non-linear problem solving. Right. Um, uh, Hippo, human-focused digital is the name of the book. And, and it, was a, it was a really interesting journey all those years ago looking at human behavior and how human behavior has already been affected by technology and then kind of projecting forward from mm. 2016 and saying, well, if machines start to um, invariably replace even more of the things that we do, mm. um, what kind of things should it be replacing? And if yeah. it's doing more of the linear tasks on our behalf, that's great because it leaves us with the complex nonlinear problem solving. And there's a theory there mm. that if we're mm. only doing nonlinear problem solving because technology is taking care of the easy stuff um actually it could be healthier right so as a next stage of technology as an evolution um it would be great if all those swipes and clicks and um peculiar behaviors that sort of the last 15 years have created mm. kind of go away because machines are making those decisions on our behalf but then it also goes uh, slightly into the philosophical philosophical conundrum of okay but where does that leave us when we have decisions that are making, um, or computers that are making decisions on our behalf as well. Yeah. So it's a weird book. <laughs> it is weird. Uh, it's a funny philosophical sort of the ramblings of a slightly dyslexic data design uh, ethics nerd. But yeah. um, it was good. But people should check it out. 
Oh, I'd love that. I mean, that's what, I'm not saying don't read it, but um, yeah. yeah, it was. Um, but I think the other thing that's really fascinating when I kind of shy away from that and I say things like, "Oh, it's two years ago." Is mm-hmm. I mean, even how quickly the last two years have moved. Yeah. Um, and basing the business on some of the philosophy in the book has been great. But you're like, well, we 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 have to move forward as well because some of the stuff that we were writing about all those years ago now uh, is been and gone hmm. uh, which again is fantastic and it shows a certain amount of progression but yeah. it also proves that we can't predict how quickly these things are going to go and therefore you have to hmm. be fairly human focused in the development of all this technology because that's the only thing that persists Yeah, um, and the book kind of posited that actually when you strip away all the technology if the only thing that exists or is left is a people hmm. that's probably the thing that you should be focusing on when you're designing the technology is the effect on people yes yeah um and I guess, is it positing that people are, are not looking at that? I mean, or because obviously that's the counter yeah. argument that your book, that argument yeah. um, throws out. Definitely. I think, I think consumers are very quick to consume. Yeah. And I don't think they question what effect technology is having on their behaviours or their, their lives in general. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, and I also think a lot of, you know, technology people have been guilty of, helping technology find a problem rather mm, than the mm. problem looking for technology. Yeah. And blockchain. in that sense... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, I don't even understand blockchain. Tourette's. Uh, yeah, I don't even understand. Uh, I know people that try to explain it to me, but, um, but, you know, and I think, so I think it's a vicious circle that, that consumers are seduced by the shiny mm. AI thing or the interface or whatever it is and they go out and they buy the next version of something that exists rather than the best version of something new. Mm-hmm. Um, and technologists are pumping that down people's throats in large quantities because that's how, you know, capitalism works now. So yeah. I think we're all guilty and we're all complicit in this, this odd dance at some point. But um, yes, it was, it was fascinating looking at the effect on people in the middle of all of that. Yeah. And um, I think when I read the, the blurb, one of the things that struck me was um, why. Yeah. The question of why that um, came up at the end of that blurb, um, the book would be looking at why, yeah. you know. And I think that's a really important question. I think, like you were saying just now, like why are we making any of this stuff? Yeah. Uh, and what are we actually doing to people when we do make the stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, how does that play out in, in your, I mean, the book and also how you've been thinking since then? Yeah, I mean, that's the one question that we always come back to. And we say that to clients, we say that to each other, we say that to other technologists. I am like the proverbial child that always says, like, why are we doing that? Like, yeah. Really? Like, what is that? What problem are you trying to fix with whatever that thing is, that widget is? Um, and I, don't, I think if, if we, we don't use the term why more, why are we doing that? We do end up just creating you know, the next, the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and, you know, where's the value in all of that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do question the value of quite a lot of the decisions that we've been making because people aren't asking, you know, questions. They're not... I'd like to see more technologists, you know, um, reading Socrates mm. and, and looking at philosophy uh, and going back to some of the basics of the human condition you know, blending that with the decisions that they're making. Yeah. Those kind of why questions. Um, I think you'd see a very different output and a, a very different outcome in the world that we have right now. Yeah. If there had been, you know, more more technologists uh, immersed in better questions. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. I would love that. Um, 
not going to happen, is it? Well, <laughs> that's what this podcast is about. So. Yeah. It's, but it's on its way. As in, I think more people are getting conscious of the damage. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we do have this kind of surveillance capitalism market that does mm. exist and it makes a lot of money and it's made a lot of people very, very rich and they're not about to turn around and change their business models tomorrow if it's still creating vast um, quantities of wealth for some of these people. So yeah. it's, a, it's a tricky political space. Do you think, I mean, this is somewhat off topic, not, I mean, off topic from the podcast maybe, and it's a leading question, but do you think that maybe it's uh, because of capitalism that people are having to make stuff constantly? And, and there's a lot of us, right? Yeah. And the technology um, in the Western world is one of those ways that we perpetuate the making of things yeah um so do you think that's part of the issue that we're having to deal with i mean it's partly technological but also to do with the social economic experience or the place that we're currently at it's a great question and actually you know it's a fine line between saying to people like stop being creative and stop making stuff and stop trying to be the next steve jobs if that's what drives people Mm. um i mean we when you democratize technology in a way that we've democratized it over the last couple of years mm. that's really exciting but it does you know you you build a ship you create a shipwreck at some point i mm. mean that's that's the way it works right. um, and i think the democratization of technology over the last 20 years ai especially now we're going through this zeitgeist moment right now where everyone's talking about it and everyone's um baking it into everything they do and it's because we've had vast quantities of data that the social media platforms and banks and so on and so forth, you know, spewed out. And we've democratised the platforms at which everybody can plug in a, an algorithm mm-hmm. into the side of something and it be... And that's great. Mm. And we shouldn't discourage our children at some point in the future to play with some of that stuff. But I think, you know, teaching people the ethics around that behaviour is what's been lacking mm-hmm. and that yep. control. And when you give Prometheus fire, you know, you burn down some villages at some point. So I think the self-control part of technology has been lacking. Um, and maybe that's the next phase. Maybe that's the next bit that we go through. Yeah. I think for me, I think we talked about it quite a lot on this podcast, actually. But um, having an ethical component of you know more prevalent in education or mm-hmm. in design school or um science uh, computer science or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is um for me sounds like the the obvious first thing to do mm. because if you're teaching anything like companies how to implement ai your company is actually telling them how to do the ethical component at the same time and it'd be nice if that was yeah. kind of sort of baked in yeah i mean we were t- we we've discussed we talked about this earlier the, the you know the big problem we still have putting my hands up is convincing businesses that having an ethics governance framework mm-hmm. before they go into some of this stuff is something they need to have and there are still businesses in my view yeah. that we we're conversing with who think that it's a something they have to do for pr not because it's the right thing right to do and there's still a little bit of that out there quite a lot of that out there actually um and i think that's because people were kind of going well isn't that going to slow down progress? Mm. One progress where we can do progress so quickly. It's like, yeah, that's the point. Having frameworks in place that, that ask those why questions, like every couple of steps into a journey, mm. slow you down. They make the whole thing, you know, friction full rather than frictionless. And then you might not get to that point 
where the big breach that happens compromises, you know, tens, thousands, millions of people. Um, it's, it's stopping us getting to that point. But there are, mm. and I think the same in education. A lot of education um, people will probably go like, yeah, but doesn't that just slow down the progress of what we're trying to do? It's like, yes. And that's why it exists. That's why it should be a component of business and education mm. is to slow progress down just a little bit so that we're looking at the possible upsides and the downsides of everything that we're doing. Yeah, we don't crash the Titanic. Yeah, well, I mean, but again, <clears throat> you know, and again, sometimes when you have these conversations, it's like, well, you're the fun sponge, aren't you? And you're like, no, I'm just trying to, we're just trying to make sure that when it goes wrong, we're ready yeah. for the thing that goes wrong. And it will go wrong. But at least have a contingency plan in place when yeah. you know the mortgage application makes the wrong decision. Yep. Rather than it getting onto the front cover of the the news of the world or something like that, uh, you know, with a big red headline, racist AI or whatever it is, it's like mm. you've got the story ready to say this is just because some little gear went the wrong direction in our code, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so there's a bit of that as well. Yeah. But you said earlier that you also have this nice idea of a safe space to explore sure. with a company before even having to get to that anyway, before yeah. anything does crash or, or burn. And I guess like these things happen in all sorts of different ways in all companies and industries and anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of to be just expected. Yeah, like, absolutely. Um, it's just you don't want it to be, you know, driving your business down the drain in the process. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think what's really fascinating about the kind of technology that we're immersed in that's emerging, that's happening at the moment that we're in the middle of, is this isn't the QA for a website. If the button doesn't work, yeah. the page doesn't go anywhere. These are decision-making engines and if we're doing proper ai which we're trying to do um to a certain extent you know those are decisions that you can't predict the outcomes from mm -hmm. so it's a whole new space that's emerging and we're doing that on mass yeah um terrifying in some ways but kind of fascinating in others because we are literally just taking our hands off the steering wheel but yeah. if we try and do that stuff too quickly then you know there'll be there'll be really bad consequences yeah and uh, do you do you think any of your clients will be listening to this podcast? Or? Yeah, probably, and I'll, I'll send it around to them as well. But they're yeah. all, I mean, there's a reason we have, you know, uh, it's the clients that we have. I adore every single one of them. I'm just saying that in case they are listening, hello yep. clients. But you know, they're thinking about this stuff because they've engaged with us or they've come to us because they are thinking about it. Yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of businesses out there that aren't thinking about it. Um, they're the ones that need to start considering the downsides to their upsides. Mm -hmm. um, we'll see. Yeah. It's, going to be, it's going to be a wild couple of years. And there'll be a few more Cambridge Analyticas before we get to Utopia. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, it is going to be fascinating. And again, I'm not sure whether it's the role of a government to regulate or it's the role of a business to self-regulate or it's the role of consumers to you know, decide what they consume and don't consume if it's not ethically grounded I think it's a bit of all of those things but mm. the, it's the wild west at the moment yeah and I think the the, the European Union with the GDPR and things mm -hmm. like that they were presumably focused in the right direction to take back some control yep. away from the industry because it has been the wild west yeah and I can't I don't know if you listened to um, Kenny Bowles in the last yeah I did and, and he was he was saying that maybe you know we, we messed it up you know um, it's it's fair enough. Like, um, yeah. and there will be possibly more legislation coming in yeah. um, to help, presumably guide the industry um, 
into making better decisions for citizens, but also as a backstop for because there is yeah. the ethical guidance isn't there. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's it and I think you know there's a lot of work going on in government at the moment we're doing a lot of work with the FCA the Financial Conduct Authority a regulator mm. and none of it is about curtailing progress it's about setting out you know guidance for businesses that want to play in this sandpit yeah um, and I think it should be that because there is a certain I mean you don't want to stifle innovation yeah but at the same time you want to make sure that innovation is done in a way that's not detrimental to humanity in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, so definitely, definitely. Um, awesome. Um, do you you have this kind of link between um, social good and some of the stuff that you're doing with a company? And I've got here like mental health and yeah. those sorts of issues. What's the kind of link uh, there with the AI work that you do? Yeah. So um, one of the things we decided to do with the business that was again. It was a philosophy that that I wrote about in the book, which is there there are some really big problems on the planet that need to be solved, and and ultimately some of the people that are trying to solve those those problems on the planet are you know charities and NGOs and third sector organisations, and they have the problem of not having any money, right? So mm-hmm. or you know lack of funds in and lack of funds, which has only got worse over the last ten years. So why couldn't you combine the two? Why couldn't you do? work in the industry and then some of those learnings and the, almost that technology mm. gets kind of recycled into the third sector so that they have um, that big thinking, that big kind yep. of corporate enterprise thinking installed into them. Um, mental health uh, is, is an area that, that you know, means uh, a huge amount to me because of complications of friends and myself and many, many people. Um, but But actually it's one of the big knotty problems of our time mm-hmm. um it really is and technology i think has also contributed in some shape or form to that problem and that growing swelling problem i do believe that and so what we're trying to do is push back some of the technology we're building and some of the planning and the ethics and the governance and the um frameworks and the thinking onto some of our charitable partners mm-hmm. uh, to give them that sort of enterprise wisdom um, we're doing a couple of projects at the moment. I can't really talk about them in too much detail, but just really fascinating looking at um, human problems like mental health through the lens of the corporate. How would we solve this problem mm-hmm. if we were a bank? And that, uh, and that seems to be solving the problems in a funny sort of way quicker than if you look at it through the lens of a charity. So we have you know some of the tech that we've been developing is is ultimately and again there's an ethics concern here about job loss and so on and so forth but that's a you know an interesting conundrum is some of the tech we're developing is is chat and voice based technology that's effectively designed to reduce the number of people that sit in call centers mm-hmm. by automating responses and that's a big corporate problem they're trying to downscale well then you've got mental health charities that we're working with who don't have enough people answering the phones or on web chat that need that kind of AI to boost their signal Mm. so that you know double the amount of people they can reach who are vulnerable so it's like the snake consuming its own tail it's a fascinating conundrum if Mm. you just flip it on its head and you say actually 
there's a there's a logistics problem on one side and people trying to like downsize and then there's a charitable problem over here where they need to upsize but they can't afford people that's where technology is at its best yeah um, and it, it's sort of unfortunate that they can't just take those people and yeah put them over there yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, you guys are not needed anymore because yeah. it doesn't matter but this is more, more important effectively yeah, absolutely yeah and we're so we're I'm, I'm deeply passionate about that topic because i do think it's a problem that needs to be solved um we can't do everything obviously as a business so we focus on mental health because we know about it um and it's a specialist area but you know once we've contributed to solving that problem a little bit then maybe we'll move on to something else and help yeah. somebody else with something else but um right now that's a big focus of the business awesome i have written down here something about bima uh bima the, the british interactive media association uh, i sit on the board of, of bima i have done for a while uh, and i chair the ai think tank um and really the point of having a think tank uh, around AI for Beamer was to try and look at the ethical concerns from an industrial level right. um, and say to an entire industry, these are the things that you should be thinking about before you um, commercialise you know, automation across an industry. You're going to wipe mm. out huge uh, swathes of jobs and you're going to you know, displace people potentially or you're going to completely change the way we think about design and creativity. Like, have you thought about the implications of that? So yeah. um, that's been really interesting as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of some of the work that we've been doing, which has actually led back to government. So some of those findings mm. from the think tank for BEMA have already ended up in some of the APPGs, uh, the all parliamentary party groups on AI for, at the government, um, which is awesome. And it's really good. But yeah. that, that gives me an opportunity to look at the problem from an industrial layer, you know, down mm. across an entire industry, um, which, again, is is a big challenge yeah but we solve it bottom up or you solve it bottom down and actually we're trying to i'm trying to come at it from both angles to see which way is the best way of doing it right somewhere in the middle is the right answer (laughs) is there do you think i mean the 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 job loss thing seems like a sticky situation yeah is there any sort of um, light at the end of the tunnel for that piece it's difficult to say isn't it i mean it's 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 an i'm not one of these I mean, you've had people like Callum on your podcast before, who I adore. He's a great, great guy. And he, you know, he focuses quite heavily on the job loss mm. um, conundrum. And there will be jobs displaced. Of course there will. Uh, but I, I'm trying really hard to focus on all the opportunities that this kind of technology can do to augment people. Mm-hmm. Of course there are going to be jobs lost um, in jobs that are quite linear and some non-linear jobs, of course, at some point. But there's also a massive opportunity for some of those people to go and work in industries that need that bolstering. And I know that's a utopian view. Just yesterday, I, mm. I read somewhere that the, the police, the Metropolitan Police, are claiming, I, I think it was an hour back a day, to, to walk the beat by having technology effectively automate some of the admin. Wow. Right? So yeah. they're, you know, they're using their phones more while they're out on the beat to you know, take photos of crime and push that straight back into systems. So, I mean, that's RPA mm. largely, not AI. But, you know, as an example of how this technology is making certain industries better, that's something that perhaps yeah. more focus should be placed on. So it's almost automating uh, bureaucracy rather than supplanting necessary work. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, that's almost like a utopian... Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think the reason that there's a lot of talk around job loss is there, there are going to be, um, you know, low level jobs lost uh, or displaced, moved into different sectors. I don't know mm. what those are. 
But I think a lot of it, a lot of the fear comes from the blue collar workers. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. are working out like, you know, let's, I'm not going to, I'm married to a solicitor, so I'm not going to pick on the law area too much. But, well, well, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to pick on the law. Like yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a whole load of people in an entire industry whose job is based on billing hours mm. to clients for doing, you know, research and manual input and so on and so forth. Like, mm. And they take billions you know, out of industry, yeah. corporate law, and put it in, and those jobs are going to be lost. And you go, but, you know, uh, maybe that's kind of your own doing, because you're doing <laughs> a, an incredible amount of work and charging people an incredible amount of money for work that doesn't need to be done. Yeah. So there's, there, there, is a, there is an upside and a downside to all of these, but it's a, it's a minefield. It's, it's, like, embarrassingly, it seems less um, ethically wrong or kind of like it feels uh, like better when it's those kind of middle middling jobs rather than the bottom of the barrel doesn't it because obviously the people who are doing more menial tasks are already doing menial tasks and if they lose their job like where are they going to go yeah but the people in the middle maybe you feel less bad about them losing their jobs yeah a little bit (laughs) i mean but they're also if they're if you but i mean there's no reason i mean like if there's still people losing their jobs is my point yeah, I mean, you know, if if your job for now, for yeah. the next 10 years, if your job or the job that you create around yourself is that linear that an algorithm could do it, mm-hmm. you probably have a bigger problem than the technology industry. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you've not... Where's the value that you create? Um, and these are really complicated, um, again, ethically complicated conversations because mm. we're now into what value looks like or who adds value and so on and so forth yeah. and it becomes a bit of a kind of you know bit of a socialist argument or whatever but i don't mm. it's a it, it is it's going to be the argument of our time over the next couple of years i think yeah is is you know value um and mm. the fact that these machines that are emerging are seemingly going to do more administrative type tasks mm-hmm. what are those people going to do and especially in those middle brackets, that blue collar bracket, it's like, make yourself look busy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, in my head, I'm just seeing like half day of work and then to the theatre and then maybe a spa. And then, <laughs> then maybe the next day I'll yeah. do another half day of work and then maybe I'll go and, you know, do some charitable stuff. And then, you know, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe something like that. That'd be quite good. But then you still have to make some money from somewhere, don't you? So Yeah, but I get paid enough in my half day. Every, okay, like, I see so, what you mean. Yeah. This, is the, uh, yeah, this is the reduced hour work week argument. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that, that there is an interesting debate, isn't there, around, like, who makes the money from the machines that make the money. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and it's going to come back to those big six or those big four you know, businesses are, or um, well, <laughs> like, you know, that, that, isn't it the same problem that we've always had, which yeah. is, you know, it's the capitalist problem, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like somebody at the top always makes the most amount of money. Yes. Somewhere in the middle, there's a good amount of money being made and someone at the bottom is making even less money. Um, that's the way it's always worked. Yeah. And now we're just going to have a situation where the people at the top are going to make loads of money by doing even less because they've got a whole load of automation in the middle. Sure. Um, and all those uh, white-collar workers, not blue-collar workers, uh, excuse me, are going to be off playing golf or doing so. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? yeah, and they're not going to care yeah. anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's the example of um, the Instagram and the Kodak 
and it was well written about, I think, quite a few different books as an example where, you know, Instagram maybe employ 30 people originally, you know, before they got bought out by Facebook and then and Kodak, um, you know, employed hundreds or yeah. thousands of people. And there's a whole town, you know, basically dedicated to the Kodak head office. And, and eventually, you know, the march of progress meant that Kodak wasn't was usurped. Yeah. And arguably you're getting a much um, broader technology with Instagram yeah you know you're spreading sharing out all these pictures as well as taking them and such um, for you know many fewer people uh, creating more uh, value or mm-hmm. money should I say not value um, yeah so it's a really different difficult um, problem which I think we will like you say we're going to be facing but that's the same with any industry isn't it it's like you know and again I, I, I'm not I'm not belittling the problem because it's a mm. massive problem, but, you know, the Midlands, um, Dudley and Birmingham, the, the what used to be the kind of industrial car manufacturing heart of, of Great Britain, that's been decimated for decades mm. to the point of non-existence um, because of progress or overseas, you know, businesses doing it cheaper, whatever it is. And that progress has always been there. I think the problem we have right now is that, to your point about Instagram and Kodak, is, mm. is progress is a, is a, you know, we're at a, a, this is cultural acceleration, not cultural change, right. or industrial acceleration. Um, and we're just not prepared, like mentally, to, that we're not equipped to deal with things happening at this pace. We're used mm. to it being slowly eroded over 20, 30, 40 years. And now we're seeing it in like five or six, yeah. um, which is insane. And I think that's maybe where, you know, the, 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 foundations of civilization if you like at the moment are crumbling a little bit is we just cannot cope with what's going on around us because we're mm. humans we're all fallible um and that's i think the bit that's really complicated in all of this is not that industry does not progress and businesses change that's the way it's always been um it's that it's it's a speed of change that is is almost unfathomable you can't get your head around it and that's it's terrifying yeah but we're here to to solve that right if we knew the answer to that like i I would have uh, i'd be sitting on a yacht right no i wouldn't um i think it's going to take it it's going to take an industry industries coming together and having some very serious conversations about the speed of change not the change Mm -hmm. the change happens the acceleration and the speed of that um my fear is that some of the and this is a genuine fear is that some of those big companies who are arguably at the centre of that change, social media platforms, mm-hmm. uh, big technology businesses, um, you know, Google, uh, the Microsoft, the, the, the big, big businesses that are really at the centre of all of this acceleration and all of this change um, are probably not going to be coming to the party to have those conversations. Right. And so change and innovation is happening at the fringes whilst there's a big, you know, a massive change happening right in the middle yeah um and that is just going to get that gulf is going to get wider and wider and wider until all those people come together it's it's interesting because i think they are having those conversations and i i think um i mean outwardly there are things that you can look at to say that they are having these sorts of discussions and we had um luciano floridi yeah. uh, on the podcast and he was he was um mentioning he he talked to some of the big um, about some of those um, issues but I think 
it's maybe behind doors and, and that sort of thing still. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I, I'm, a, I'm a healthy cynic about some of this stuff. I think some of those big businesses, it's not in their interest to change too much. Um, they have to contribute to solving some of the problems um, and especially some of the problems around AI and so on and so forth. But mm. their core business now is is, is, is our data, yep. you know, the data capitalism um, uh, and sort of data surveillance economy. Like is it's the core of their businesses and it, it's really going to break their businesses right down to nothing if they are part of these conversations about what we're doing. Like it's just mm. not in their interest. And so I do think they're sending people to the party. I just don't know whether it's something they're going to do overnight and, and whether they're not, if, if it's in their interest to change. Yeah. Um, I think human lives are already being lost, uh, tragically. I mean, we've only got to look at the the recent case of, you know, Molly Russell, hmm. um, the 14-year-old who was sort of immersed in some of the sort of darkest content that's available to everybody on, on Instagram. Um, and Facebook's response to that, you know, on hmm. TV was one of, you know, mourning and sorrow and we're really sorry. Um and then they go away and they tweak their algorithm and they start to solve the problem. But I, I really think deep down, you know, if they had ethics baked into their business, they wouldn't have even got to that point. Yeah. Um, they'd be thinking more human being and less capitalist. And now they've kind of gone away. You know, mm. there's already, it was on the news again last night that, you know, the family of Molly Russell and, and other victims of, of this particular type of, of crime, in my view, mm-hmm. uh, are unable to get legal aid for inquests into the kind of you know the death of their children um yeah. and facebook and instagram and so on and so forth get away scot-free they yeah. tweak their algorithm they change their policy they go but it's not the core of their business will never change because it would just put them out of business mm-hmm. um and i'm not sure where i'm going with that rant but what i mean is you know i don't i don't think ethics is something that these businesses are based on yeah and i think when you're retrospectively trying to sort your business out on that scale with mm-hmm. ethics as um, governance, like that's a big problem to try and solve. Do you think um, with these companies at this scale, it comes back to the why question? Yeah. Because obviously Facebook in its inception was this uh, university, who's at what university? Yeah. Can we can we check them out and can we sleep with each other, basically? Yeah. You know, um, and that's very different to what it is now. Yeah. And maybe it's fine to have these small things, small technological, yep. impressive gadgets, like you say, or like widgets, yep. um, which do very specific jobs and are very, very useful at doing those things. But maybe we can get carried away and, you know, they, sure. we like the shiny and maybe we should um, not need to make these into multi-billion sure. dollar companies. <laughs> well, I mean, there's something else, isn't there? There's like, you know, and again, I think it's unfair for me, for us, for anybody the industry to sit here and slam the industry. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's a, it's a double-edged sword, this one, because there's a, it's a supply and a demand industry. And the minute, you know, people still want to go and work for them. Mm. Yes, they pay really, really well. But at the same time, you know, people have a choice whether they go and work for a business that's ethical. It is grounded on, you know, the foundations of people that, that give a damn about humans, not users, mm. um, and numbers and KPIs and so on and so forth. Like, you know, you can choose to go and, and bolster these businesses with your intelligence. Um, consumers downloading and just... And I, know, I get that they're created to get people addicted and there's that kind of, you know, um, uh, that kind of viral loop 
that they create that 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 goes out the social graph just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it consumes us all i get it i get it i get it but human beings also and it comes maybe it comes back mm. to education which is we need to be able to choose whether or not we give these people our data which ultimately fuels their business which gives them value which creates this kind of massive model of consumerism and capitalism mm. like eat, feeding each other um so I don't, I don't think it is just about the industry, you know, and industries and businesses changing themselves. Um, they should, but mm-hmm. I think it's about forcing them to do that a little bit with our behaviours and our habits. Yeah, with our wallets. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. And, but, but people don't realise that they're browsing pictures and clicking likes and, yeah. you know, retweeting things is the new wallet. Yeah. You know, that that is the new currency, and I don't think that people realise that. Mm. Um, at least Bezos giant amazon you know is at least you know what you're getting with that one and i get there's some nefarious stuff that goes on behind some of those businesses as well but at least you're buying stuff at least yeah, people know yeah. what they're doing and there's a I, kind of consumerism i feel like most of what apple do is a similar sort of uh, exchange you yeah. know you, you're you're buying a product and that's and it costs money yeah know? and i know that obviously in the in the mobile world everything is um somewhat opaque about what's being captured data wise but if you believe what they say, it's kind of like, no, no, this is your thing. And, you know, yeah. Um, I think we've talked a lot about the more negative side yeah. of these sorts of technologies. Um, what is the thing about AI and machine learning and, and um, all this sort of technology that really excites you, gets you going, yeah, that okay. sort of thing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy to dwell on some of the downsides you know, actually what I'm really excited about is the concept. And I wrote about this. The book is actually quite positive. It's not a, it's a couple of years old, obviously, but it's quite positive about, you know, the idea that this technology can amplify the very best parts of humanity, mm-hmm. not just erode them. Uh, and we have this amazing opportunity to learn more about ourselves. So if AI is effectively, or, or you know, algorithms are effectively consuming the data that we supply them on mass every day, why couldn't that data teach us more about ourselves mm-hmm. or, or you know give us help before we know we need it you know and i'm really excited about some of the capabilities of this technology to be able to do that yeah um, when we talk about you know supporting people with mental health problems or you know even financial services um as, as an industry that we service quite heavily is this i love this idea that this is the kind of technology that stops us getting to the bridge uh, by saying to us in advance, somehow, without it being kind of, you know, with it being supportive and not surveillance, and there's a kind of, there's a fine line there. Right. Um, you know, did you know if you keep going in this direction, this is going to be detrimental? Or did you know um, that, you know, the downside to where you're heading is th- that tra- making the future transparent yeah. in some way? Um, I, I just think is actually a really interesting philosophical idea if we can do it without it being 1984 mm-hmm. um and i and that i think is is often overlooked in the kind of um the murkiness of what's going on right now uh, and i you know and that that really excites me i love the idea that we're going to see all the data that we're generating solving some big humanitarian problems um yeah. and i genuinely believe there are there are more people doing good with this kind of technology than negative um it's just that eighty twenty rule, you know. The twenty percent of people that do something bad generally over, you know, overshadow the people that are doing like eighty percent of good. And I'm I'm with the eighty percent, um, but there are people trying to solve some really big problems, and they're you know, we could see the 
eradication of, of certain types of cancer in the next couple of years because we can process data in a, in a volume that we've never been able to do before. Amazing. Mm. Um, we could get humanitarian aid to the right places um, with amazing companies like What Free Words, you know, using technology that has been around for a mm. while, but mm. they've actually just utilised in a way that's, you know, yeah. just and quite, brilliant. Quite innovative. simple idea. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the processing and the ability to do some of that stuff is something that we've only really had in the last couple of years. So uh, that's really, really exciting. And I do believe we're going to see the world emerging in quite positive places mm. um, and some big problems sort of disappearing at some point. Wicked. Well, we're going to leave uh, it on that note, if that's okay. That's a very positive note to leave it on. Exactly. Um, if people want to uh, follow you, get in contact with you, how would they do that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting my social media habits down a little bit, but you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, just Pete Trainer, P-E-T-E-T-R-A-I-N-O-R uh, on Twitter um, uh, and LinkedIn and all the usual channels. I'd love, I love connecting with people i think the other thing that we didn't talk about is that the fact that the internet has this amazing ability to connect random people in serendipity mm. like amazing 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 so do come and connect with me uh and yeah keep being positive i guess yeah great thank you very much pete you're welcome thanks for having me hi this is me at the end of the podcast thanks again for pete for joining me it was a really fascinating chat and very candid i thought in my opinion if you'd like to hear more of my opinion on this episode, please go over to patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. And if you have any feedback for us or would like to get in contact, please find us on machine-ethics.net and the email is hello at machine-ethics.net. Thanks very much for listening.